Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine. It's great to have you here. My guest this week is Jackie Cation, a comedian and podcaster whose shows include The Dork Forest, which she's been doing for a decade, and The Jackie and Laura Show, a more comedy-centric series with Laurie Kilmartin that you can find on Nerdist. She'll also be appearing in Maria Bamford's new series, Lady Dynamite, which premieres on Netflix this Friday, May 20th. Jackie picked Holiday Inn, the 1942 musical with Fred Astaire and Bing Crosby playing a pair of entertainers, a hoofer and a crooner, of course, who spend a calendar year driving back and forth between New York City and a little hotel in Connecticut fighting over Marjorie Reynolds, all while performing a songbook of holiday tunes by Irving Berlin. It's the kind of movie the studios cranked out all the time back in the day, and yes, three quarters of a century later, it's a very different day now. But we'll get to that. This is someone else's movie. It's sort of uh, the list I gave you. They were all, to some extent, guilty pleasures, mm-hmm. and Holiday Inn is one of those. Just because it has, it has Bing Crosby in it, who we can talk a little bit about the separation of the man and the art. And they've uh, been doing because, that a lot lately. Yeah, and um, and then the other thing is that there's that's the this is Holiday Inn is of course only open on holidays, uh, and one of those holidays is uh, Independence Day, the 4th of July in the United States. And the musical number in it is all done in blackface. Oh, no, that's Lincoln's birthday. Oh, is it Lincoln's yeah, birthday? Oh, that's watched, right. It's before President's it Day. Again. It's Abraham. Oh, that's right. The song is Abraham. Yeah, yeah. It's and terrifying. It's uh, sure. And uh, so those are the two reasons why it's a bit of a guilty pleasure to me. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I thought we it, it would have more di- there could be more dialogue. Yeah, it's, that's why I picked it, and I've and I've always enjoyed it. Quite honestly, yeah. it's a great movie. I hadn't seen it in about I would think I mean whenever that DVD came out because I checked it out for the color version as well. Thirty nine. So no, I'm kidding. You haven't seen us on thirty nine. Uh, <laughs> I, I would guess it was about it's probably about ten years old at least. That disc that you're holding. Oh, this disc. So I I had seen it before, but that was the last time I watched it, and then I watched it again the other day, and I am. I'm kind of amazed at what the movie is versus what people remember because even I had forgotten that the, you know the, the basic story is about two guys competing for women not right. just one but repeatedly and over and over again right their entire lives they seem to be falling in love with the same girl yeah it's this partnership of a hoofer and a crooner and yep. and, and you know Stare is the dancer and Bing Crosby is the singer and Crosby seems to legitimately pursue love relationships with women. He right. falls for them and eventually kind of proposes to them sort of, kind of, because he's terrible at it. Right. It's, he seems to have commitment issues. Uh, yeah. And on the other hand, but then, Fred Astaire doesn't have any commitment issues because he just wants to win whatever the, the... the He's just competitive. Yeah. He only yeah. exists to steal the girl. Like it's a Bugs and Daffy relationship. <laughs> it's kind of remarkable. And, and yeah. how incredibly <laughs> mean-spirited that is. Very but, much so. But it doesn't play because it it's that weird... And Fred Astaire is enormously likable. Mm-hmm. So he's saying and doing terrible things, and you're like, oh, but he's so likable. Yeah. And but it's it has that feel that sort of the Lucy and um, and Charlie Brown. Yeah. Like every year I watch those Christmas specials, and every year I'll respond to him differently. Some sure. years I'm just furious with Peppermint Patty at Thanksgiving. 
I was like, who would invite themselves over to to Thanksgiving? That's insanity. <laughs> and Marcy tells her that, and then. Peppermint Patty doesn't ever apologize. She accepts Charlie Brown's apology. And so one year I'll be furious at Peppermint Patty. The next year I'll think it's some for some reason equally hilarious. Right. And I'll laugh and laugh at, <laughs> at poor Charlie Brown, the doof. And uh, <laughs> this thing is exactly the same, where you're like, sometimes I'll watch it, and I'll watch it every year at Christmas. Okay. Even though it's every holiday. Yeah. Uh, I'll only watch... I, st- I usually start it with uh, Holiday Inn, my Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. I usually start so it with Holiday Inn. Unorganized. Yeah, back. and then I end it with uh, Groundhog Day. Okay. Um, so, and then, so, well, somewhere also near the end is Die Hard. The new, sure. the new Christmas sure. classic. Sure. And uh, uh, with, with us, it's the uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol. The Muppet Christmas Carol. Because that's that's an early one too. It's wonderful. I like to watch all the Christmas carols in a row. Oh wow! The Mr. Magoo Christmas Carol. Okay. The Muppet Christmas Carol. The Alistair, what's his face Christmas Alistair Carol. Alistair Sim. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, um, George C. Scott. I think I, I think I'm getting them mixed up. I think I like no, the George both, C. Scott. Yeah. Which one? Fifty two. That's uh, Sim. That's Sim. Okay, Sim. so it is the George Alistair. C. Scott is the I think the musical. Okay. Scrooge. Oh, which we and, don't. Speak and of. my husband loves Scrooged with Bill Murray, mm-hmm. and I do not. Okay. But uh, I might as well watch that. That girl. You remember when Marla Thomas did a version of Scrooge on television? I, I know of it. I don't know that I've actually seen it. Well, you I've are missing it. so little. I've seen it in lists. It's Scrooge. Scrooge is the sort of. Um, it's it's a weird case because I can totally understand why you wouldn't like it. Mm-hmm. I I, you know, it was the year that Die Hard was released. It is this hyper steroidal version of this story, and it's right. manic and insane, and has uh, Bob Goldthwait doing an Elmer Fudd voice. And yeah. when you're a twenty year old boy, as yeah. I was, it yeah. was exactly what I needed. But yeah, no, it looks like a coke nightmare now. It's right. It it is a coke yeah. nightmare. I don't understand <laughs> that an elf. I mean, I see what's being... I, I get why people love it. Uh, I, and I wish... But I tend, to, I tend to err on the side of older movies. So you're more classical. I like classical. I like them to be sweeter. The Bishop's Wife is one mm. of my favorite. And um, and other... You know, I, I like the older... The older ones. The Bells of St. Mary's right. and... Um, yeah. So... Yeah. So the... the, yes. the the stuff that you presumably watched when you were a kid growing up. Yes, my step my stepmother be, were beloved. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life, right? And Which again is a dark, mean movie that holy. no one like nobody remembers the first two hours of that film. Oh my god! The fact that that guy every time Andy watches it, my husband he's just like, "Leave town! <laughs> you can't fix everything. Get out!" Yeah. And <laughs> he never leaves. There's a. There's an alternate reading of the film that basically says that it's about the canonization of George Bailey, that he is going to be a saint, but they uh, couldn't quite articulate it because of how weird the religious aspects of it are. Yeah. Because he's contemplating suicide, and you can't, you know, like, that's yeah. not a proper Christian thing to do in 1941. Oh. But to have the two little angels talking at the beginning, I think actually God is one of the voices yeah, yeah. at the very beginning. Go on, Clarence, help this idiot. Yeah, yeah. It's and two angels, it's, it's Clarence, the big angel, and then God. Yeah. And so you have, at the end, what we are seeing is... A saintly, like he's performing miracles. He is saving the town. He's yeah. doing all these things, and then the other miracle is the weird Catholic thing of everybody coming back and helping him, mm-hmm. like the reverse collection plate thing. Yeah, yeah. and um, and to throw that at an audience that 
you know, no wonder it didn't do very well at the time. People just didn't know what to, how to process it. Right. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, if you look at it from any sort of perspective, instead of the perspective of having watched it for 13 years in a row because it was free mm-hmm. um, <laughs> to show on television. Yeah, absolutely. And at least three times a season. Um, it's like any movie. You know, when you're a toddler, you know how kids are now where they'll watch since the invention of DVDs and VHS. Oh yeah, you watch the movie over and over and over again, sure. and well, it's like having your story read to your bedtime. You want the same story. Exactly. You know how it ends, and so it's things are just more soothing. I think the first time I saw Pulp Fiction, I was like, "The hell is going on?" And the third, thirteenth time, I was like, "This is amazing." Mm-hmm. And but if I were to look at it from any sort of a distance, like that first time was a real reaction. Yeah, of, of course. What a mess. The hell are you doing, Tarantino? Yeah. How are you spiraling in all these directions and yeah. juggling all these characters? And I can so so I can see how something like Holiday Inn would, would work as comfort food. Yes. Just in its structure, it tells you exactly what kind of movie it's going to be. That calendar device is established right away. <laughs> here are songs for the it's Irving yep. Berlin. Like here are songs about the holidays by and Irving Berlin. There we go. And yeah. some are stirring, and some are very sweet. Some and, are. And then and we some also are have this ridiculous, incredible, the determination to pull. Uh, just the, just the, there are. I'm, I'm speechless. I forget every time that there is a four-minute dance number where Fred Astaire is throwing firecrackers at his own feet. Which, oh. if you describe that again, it's like, oh yeah, I saw that in a cartoon. Like, there's, there's no way that was a human being. Doing right. That. <laughs> yeah. Which is th- that's a crazy dance scene. The dance scene that always makes me uncomfortable because you were sp- speaking about how mean this movie is is the Valentine's Day one. Sure. Where you're like, first of all. Don't actually jump through the cray paper. Now they have to find more cray paper. <laughs> and uh, do you ever get the impression that I might watch movies <laughs> with a sense of pragmatic? Who's cleaning that up? Yeah, from a production designer's hey, point of view. Hey, Grandma. <laughs> Grandmacation. Uh, they got people. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and <laughs> well, it's it's the argument. You know, it's, you know, people don't like to see animals in danger because they don't know the animals are acting. Because we, on some level, we don't believe the animals can perceive that they're right. acting. But it's like, you know, there is a craft <laughs> services table right over there. Everything's fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maria Bamford went and saw War Horse with her parents. Oh, yeah. And she was like, oh, I like Steven Spielberg. I like E.T. And so she goes to see War Horse. And she said, as far as I could tell, it was a 13-hour documentary about a horse struggling through barbed wire. And uh, Not wrong. <laughs> I was like, I don't think that's what that movie's about. She said, I couldn't take the horses even in fake peril. Yeah. Fake peril was too... I mean, there's not a kid in the world who would... A parent in the world that would make their kid watch Old Yeller. Yeah. Or Sounder. Yeah. Right, at this time. These There's are just, important way, uh, ways to learn about maturity. No, it's emotional sadism. That's right. what it is. It's being tortured. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's what it is. Because I remember watching Old Yeller and learning kind of about grief. Yeah. And it was... I thought it was powerful and good. But it might just be emotional torture. I mean... You're going to learn about grief. People are going to die. People are going to tell you to walk it off. Uh, get another dog. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but yeah, it isn't... Nobody's making their kid watch those movies. Yeah. But there's... But that scene, those two big dance scenes in it, the the Firecracker one and the... And, and the... The Valentine's Day Valentine's Day one. I like... I often like singing better than dancing. And... I think it's because of uh, Bing Crosby. His character is the only likable one in the in the movie, except for of course, the florist, sure, the the, the our our main lady. Yes, and uh, uh, everybody else seems to be incredibly out of their mind. Yeah, uh, Marjorie Reynolds. I can't remember Marjorie Reynolds' name. Uh, well, it doesn't matter because really that matter. was her That's only true. lead 
that was her only lead role. Right. And everyone just was criticizing her because she wasn't Ginger Rogers. Right. Which is such a weird thing to say. Yeah. And she had been in a lot of B movies, you know, prior to this. And after this, she was all supporting. <laughs> this was her big lead role. And she's good. She did great. Yeah. She was incredibly likable and singing and dancing and very pretty and doing all the things that you wanted out of an actress in this film. Uh, she fulfilled all of those. Yeah. And then the other one, the banana head, what was the name of the uh, the other woman? Oh, the woman who... Uh, was Virginia Dale. Yes. Virginia Dale, who uh, was great and looked like, to some extent, like she was having the time of her life. Yeah. I love a movie. There's... Okay. I'm going to say this and then I'll... I'll probably backpedal because I love a movie where you can or a TV show where you can tell that the actors are having a really good time but I don't want them to have more fun than me right? right. like um, oh the, sorry no the you... reboot of Ocean's Eleven okay is a movie where they're having more fun than I am uh, Mamma Mia on the other hand is a terrible movie okay that no one's having a good time, except for everyone knows it's a train wreck, so everyone's having a good time. I'm having a great time watching them not be able to sing, and Meryl Streep having to walk up 118 stairs at a Greek island. And I'm like, isn't she 60? Uh, <laughs> She's a vital 60. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, yeah, okay, I see what you mean. I, I mean, I love the Oceans movies because they're so weirdly playful. Um, they're having a great time. And Soderbergh... And if you can let go... Yeah, invites us in that way with the style. You feel invited in. See, I feel like I'm just watching it from from afar. Right. And in this case, I think uh, Virginia Dale is having the most fun of all of these guys. I think uh, Bing and, and Fred are kind of just doing another movie. Yeah. Marjorie is earnestly... She's like... I'm going to be acting naturally and it's going to be great. But Virginia Dale, I think, has played that part so many times that she just wants to... She's like, oh, yeah, I'm an idiot. I'm going to play this this idiot woman. Yeah. And uh, could have the time of my life. <laughs> she's having a blast. And she's she's also has the least amount of physical work to do. Um, she has, the, like, the big dance number at the beginning and she's right. mostly standing still in it. In right. <laughs> right. Because yeah. dancing circles around everyone. And Crosby is... Trying, but not really trying. Yeah, it's almost I, I, like he's not even picking his feet up. I see what you mean about his lack of effort, but it, it works for the character too because Completely. he's defined instantly as a like the reason he wants to open Holiday Inn is because he only has to work thirteen days a year, <laughs> and it's it's this perfect entertainer's vision of what a great life is because of course it's impossible. Right, right. <laughs> you want to spend live... three hundred and fifty days a year writing songs yeah. and thinking and writing and thinking and thinking and writing. Which pays and, off in the arrangements and the music, I suppose. You can almost make a point of arguing that that's what's going on in the film, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I wouldn't... <laughs> it's, sure, let's let's make it the perspective of, of a novelist. Yeah. You know, he really wants to be a novelist. And then once every three years, produce a novel. But he's, yeah, the whole... him. Finding out how hard farming was yeah. was very funny. Where you're like, "What do you? What'd you think it was going to be, weirdo?" Yeah. And then canning, uh, is right. the, the canning, canning thing, where he brings the and they blow up. I don't much like physical comedy always, but I every time I laugh at that because yeah. it's absurd. And that's that's something Crosby could do too. He could play to the audience with a joke like that. And his timing there, there's that moment. He says, "No, no, wait, let's let's make sure the other one goes off." Yeah. And it's it's not 
a joke to a stare. It's a wink to us that yes. we know like the rule of three. Yes, right, exactly. And he was never as broad as um, Bob Hope. Mm-hmm. And that's true. He's more of the straight man in those. He was the straight man in that one. He was again. It was he's the same character, but it's a those road movies were just much much bigger. You yeah. know, they were a lot, and so he's a straight man to Bob Hope's crazy Agordian playing monkey, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so in Fred Astaire, Fred Astaire is just sort of slightly evil, and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We can talk. I mean, I love, I do love Bing Crosby just because he was a he was a staple of my childhood. All sure. of those road movies, and then this movie, and then the remake of Philadelphia Story as a as a musical. Mm-hmm. It's called High Society, High Society yeah. with Frank Sinatra and and Grace Kelly. And the difference, of course, between Philadelphia Story and um, High, Society. High Society is. Uh, that Catherine Hepburn jumps in the pool. Yeah. For me, that's like the defining one, because I only saw High Society as a kid, okay. and my stepmom consistently, because I loved it so much whenever it would come on, and it was, you know, we didn't have a we didn't have a VCR until I was in high school, and I didn't have any tapes. I mean, I don't know what we were using it for. I think we rented videos. Sure, and, everybody uh, did. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but I remember watching High Society, and Nancy Cation trying to explain to me that Philadelphia story was better. And she's like, no, this is fun. It's good, you know. But it's... And Fra- I like Frank Sinatra. I mean, I like all these people. But you really have to see Philadelphia story, but it never came on. Right. And for some reason, the video store in South Milwaukee, Wisconsin, <laughs> did not have the Philadelphia story. And when I finally saw it, my mind was blown. And you're probably old enough to appreciate it, too. Yeah, it was in my 20s, and I had just seen... I had seen it was in, during college, I think, so I was maybe eighteen or nineteen. But um, I saw the Philadelphia Story, and then I saw Holiday, okay, which is with Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant, and I was like, "Oh, this is an entirely different level of movie," because I like this kind of eye candy kind of stuff, Holiday Inn and, and High Society, but. When you look at a movie that is sold as a romantic comedy or sold as just more, like, it isn't a musical, right? right. It's Cary Grant being a goof or Clark Gable being, you know, Bring Up Baby is one of the dumbest movies <laughs> in the world, but I love it. Sure. The one I bring up is His Girl Friday. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> again, you know, like, it's a gender-swapped remake of the front page of all things. It, yeah. It should not work uh, because they don't, really change very much they just cast a woman and change a character's name Mm -hmm. and it's so great Mm -hmm. it's so smart and sharp and it's like it's the example um that i i constantly put forward when people are asking about you know oh why'd they have to change things it's because it makes it more interesting yeah sometimes it's more interesting to do something established in a different way right And, and and it's proof that in casting you don't have to cast a black person in quotes. Mm-hmm. You just quote. You can cast a person because everybody's a person. Sure. And so when you when what came first was it? I the front page came before 
the play was written. Oh, the front then page. There was a film. And oh, then, there we go. Yeah, and then and His Girl Friday was made. His I think Girl it's Friday. the second film adaptation. Is it? Because I, I get them mixed up. Because remember the, the Jack Lemmon, Walter Matthau one? Right. That was the same play, but subsequent, like way, way later. In the early in the 70s. 60s, late, yeah. late 60s, yeah. yeah. Which I loved. Because I, I had an unreasonable crush on Walter Matthau. Okay. Uh, it's I don't know what it was about me being nine years old. And loving weird old craggy dudes. <laughs> the smoldering sexuality of Walter, <laughs> Walter Matthau. I like Walter Matthau. I also enjoyed Steve Landisberg from Barney Miller a great sure. deal. So it's the sardonic thing. <laughs> it it it's is. It's the world weary cynicism. It is. And it's He's the... seen it all. <laughs> it's very noir. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so I don't know. But yeah, and then So then Crosby and Astaire. Right. Are these incredibly polished... Yeah, they have been in the rock tumbler of Hollywood. They have been shined up real nice. Yeah. They... But but Bing Crosby has always been that guy. A little snarky, a little quippy, mm-hmm. and... Um, Too fast for the room. Yeah, yeah. A little smarter than the, than the room. And then Fred Astaire... Just so gifted. Just any time I get to watch Fred Astaire dance, it's a treat. Um, though I don't enjoy any of the ballet sequences, but it's less him. What's his face? Gene Kelly. Yeah. Does more ballet than I want. Yeah. Stair did it in the bandwagon, right? In the girl hunt. Uh, I thought it was a um, closing number in that one. Okay. Yeah. There was, there was, I can't, it was a, there was a very long dance sequence in one, in one of the Fred Astaire movies that was not the bandwagon okay. that I can't remember offhand. But whatever it is... But there was that Vogue at MGM where they were all doing them. Let's get gauzy and pretend it's a dream sequence, and you're like, well, stop. Because yeah. nobody... Fast forward. Yeah. And, but I do... I love the alpha... The, the acrobatics of it. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the sheer physicality of the dancing. It makes me... It makes me happy. And the the Ginger Rogers Fred Astaire movies are amazing as well. Just because she's doing everything backwards. Yeah. As the as backwards the as, and, and in heels. And right? in heels. Like, as the, the bumper sticker says. Yeah. The the it's true, they're really the, the the female roles in these in these dance showcases are almost always taken for granted, but you know, when you think about the complications, just like just watching people dance in a sheath dress. Mm-hmm. Guys don't do that. We have pants. We have tuxedos. I mean, they're right. they're, they're constrictive, but they're not yeah. physically impeding your movement. Right. And in Gene Kelly's case, they aren't even constrictive. He's always no, wearing true. some like sort of loose suit. Acrobat suits. Yeah. yeah, he's always wearing, you know, chinos and a and, yeah, and, a stripey top and, and a stripey uh, top. Yeah, some sort of bowling shirt. <laughs> and you're like, what's going on, Gene? Uh, but. Uh, it's the Kirk Douglas look before Kirk Douglas. You know, this is how I move. Right. <laughs> that sense of freedom. But yeah, Holiday Inn, I mean, I know that the gowns were designed by Edith Head, so obviously there was some consulting on how to make people, how to make the women move and dance right. and flow. And if you look at and if you look at Marjorie Reynolds' dresses, they're, it's pre-spandex, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's even pre-plastic. Yeah, there's that glittery thing she wears where the midriff is almost bare with sparkles. Yeah. It's a gown, but there's support. You can see the support because she's got panels that are Right, it's almost like a rubber pieces up. Yeah, it's like it's got it's got enough give and and flow so that it can just play. Yeah. And I think New Year's Eve is the is New Year's Eve the first one they do together? 
Um, Marjorie, I think that's the yes, first holiday, right? Up, uh, yeah, Drunk. it's the weirdness of someone taking a cab out to wherever this magical suburb is. Oh, right, outside of... And getting there just after New Year's, after, like, midnight on New Year's Eve, and it's like, what, how, when did you leave the... Never mind, never mind, never mind, I'm enjoying this too much. But, yeah, because he shows up just after, the, his, the agent shows up just after the big number. I forgot that, I forgot that he took a cab from New York City yeah. to what was clearly, like... I don't know. Upstate. <laughs> yeah, somewhere upstate New York. Nice. That's insanity. Yeah, it, like, it's one of those things where time has no meaning. People get there instantaneously. Right. Or just behind someone else. Or some, like, There's that whole thing about, oh, I didn't know the way to Connecticut. Yes. Um, so and they clear. use that device at least twice during oh, yeah. this damn thing where they're out in Hollywood. And um, But New Year's Eve. Okay, so New Year's Eve, we get to see Mamie and the kids for the first time. Because uh, one of the kids is dressed up as Baby New Year. That's right. And they, we've already seen them because they escort her. Uh, they escort Reynolds to her room. Oh uh, right. And it's awkward and weird. And right, because the kids them. are following. He's like, "Is yeah. yours name's Mamie?" He's like, "Them wings ain't gonna fly away." Yeah. And I, I, you know, every time I watched, even when I was a kid, I was like, "Who is that woman?" Louise Beavers is Mamie. And I remember watching it and just being vaguely uncomfortable as a kid, going, why is she talking like that? Yeah. I mean, I was raised in an almost exclusively white factory town in Wisconsin. So I ended up knowing like three black people when I was a kid. and But to see the portrayal, and I had just, of course, watched Roots. Okay. And, um, there, and, my, and my parents were, my dad's a button pusher. And, uh, and, a, and a piece of work. So he likes to say racist things just to get the conversation rolling. Uh, okay. I remember my brothers and my sister just arguing with him and arguing with him. And when I turned 12, and because he would never argue with you if you were under the age of 12, because that would just make people cry. <laughs> and that's not fun for my dad. And uh, so, but I remember when I was 12, he started saying, and he would say things like, dictatorships keep people busy. And <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> Right. He's always 85% right. You can't disagree with the idea. No, you can't. And then <laughs> and my brother tried to explain to him about the United Fruit Company and the union. And so, but when I was 12, he would he started doing it to me. And I had watched five of my siblings argue with my dad for 10 years. And so I would just get up and leave the room. Yeah. And so then he started doing it in the car. Because uh, he's Cause like, you're trapped. You're tra-, and he would actually say, can't step out at 55, huh? And I was like, you're hilarious, Dad. Keep keep writing. And uh, I never did say anything. But, uh, but when I remember seeing Louise Beavers, it was, it was fascinating to me because of how racial it was. Yeah. I didn't think of it as racist, except for the fact that that was the only role for her. And it felt super contrived. And now when I look back at it, and now when I watch it, and I watch it every year, I think to myself... I bet she's a classically trained actress, and she could probably play King Lear if she were allowed, but clearly not. Yeah. And and this is you know three years after Gone with the Wind too, so that yeah that's the role that was available for, yeah. for women of color. And and, and I, it may not be racist at first, but it gets racist. That's oh, the thing that really struck me this time around. It got now. Where do you think it got racist? The. Besides the all every single damn scene. Yeah, it's not directly racist at her. That's what's interesting. The racism is never directed at Mamie or her kids. They're accepted. They're like 
people treat them well. They don't condescend yeah, to them. I mean, the, the interactions. Yeah. She's clearly his employee. But it's the way the movie his, sees them. And yeah. That's what's, yeah, that's what's uncomfortable. Because you have her framed in that really weird sequence. In the, in the Abraham musical, she has one verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's singing to the kids who are... And the, the other problem I have, too, which pulls me out of it every time, is that the children are terrible actors. Like, they're not looking at her. They're looking off camera. The, kid, the, the boy doesn't know what to do. Right. And the girl is beaming, smiling, because that's all she's been told to do. Right. And they're and essentially, they're like... They're props. Yeah, they're, they're props. props. And, and they're there's somebody cat right like baby wrangling off yeah. off camera yeah. going and, and that bigger smile bigger yeah smile. <laughs> which shatters the suspension of disbelief for me completely instantly and i know i'm watching actors and i'm watching louise beavers yeah. trying her best to keep the kids in the scene yeah so there's a little effort there but when she's singing in the abraham number which has already been <laughs> prologued with a sequence where a stare no, sorry, it's Crosby, isn't it? Yeah. Crosby runs into a scene and says, I think we should do this in blackface. And your yeah. entire body clenches. Right. And going, no, you shouldn't do that. You probably shouldn't. But everybody goes along with it. And even the scene where he makes up Reynolds and blacks up her face, yeah. she's not comfortable with it, which is really weird. Like, the joke of the scene is that she wants, she, oh, I spent all my time, on, all this time on my makeup and my hair, and you're going to make yeah. me look bad. Yeah. But it reads now as, that woman doesn't want to have blackface put on her. And so... The, the, this actor is doing it, but by extension, the movie is insisting. So what's happening? What is happening? Yeah, it feels like they're they're holding on to something that isn't that they it's know is already wrong. wrong. It's already yeah, not. They working. already get that it's not for it does. It's not needed for the plot. It's not, and because every time she's in any of the any of the numbers, the fact that his manager and Fred Astaire don't recognize her. Yeah. They don't. They don't ever ask who the other woman in the show is. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And this is the problem with overanalyzing a movie. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, it's true. But but it's it's fine. I mean, this movie could use some scrutiny. Yeah. So you impose the Cinderella plot, which means no one can know who this person is. Right. But hundreds of people but are she's, watching her perform. Right, and there's only. The two of them. She's she's the main character in all of the movies. Yeah. So in all of the the, the, numbers, the major yeah. numbers. So it doesn't make any sense that that blackface is going to save that. So blackface is. It feels like more of a, like you know when old people are like, well that's how it was. Yeah. It feels like that, and you're yeah. like, who cares how it was? It's uh, already try to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. For the movie, it's how it was. Like yeah. the movie is re- is reaching back to a tradition, like Showboat. I mean, Showboat was huge. Yep. Blackface. Uh, Negro spiritual exaggeration, like all mm-hmm. the all the worst cases of uh, the entertainment industry trying to do justice to something, and I say justice in finger quotes, listeners, uh, right. trying to do justice to something by just making an absolute ugly mockery of it because right. they just think they're doing it better. Right? They think for some reason, if there's a camera pointed at it, that they're the professionals or yeah. something, and you're like, well, you could have got real people to yeah. do these things, and it's not, but. What I do like is all the scenes where she is talking. She's clearly his employee, but they're having a conversation. It's a real dialogue yeah. between Mamie her and, and Mamie and, and Bang and her, uh, Louise Beavers and, and Valerie, what's her face? Not Valerie, uh, Marjorie. So I, uh, I've always appreciated that because I, you know, there's interviews with older black actors and actresses from that time where they were like, I just want to act. And it just reminds me of different, 
Alyssa Milano was once interviewed, and she had a movie come out the same year as Beetlejuice, and it was almost the same movie. And she, she, had, she was topless in it. But it was a ghost movie. Oh, uh, wait. Poltergeisty Embrace kind of. of the Vampire. Yes. I, and, I have seen it because I had to review it. And the, and the interviewer was interviewing her about it because all of these new pictures of her, she was on Charmed, mm-hmm. and all these new pictures of her without a shirt on were all over the internet. This it was, was the, the, of course, the rise of the internet. Which rise is, of like, the internet. We can, put, we can take things and put them on the world. Exactly. Before. And so they were saying, would you have wanted to do Beetlejuice that year instead of the vampire movie? And she said, she's looked at this woman and went, yeah, yeah, I would have. <laughs> and uh, I would have wanted to do anything but the thing I did but it turns out I'm an actor and that was the opportunity that was the job I was offered right. and I'm going to take the job I'm offered because that's what I do for a living and that's that was you know when you when you see interviews of the woman who was in Gone with the Wind and Daniel yeah she has she was like I would get guff from other people of color of other black people just saying what are you doing you're perpetuating these stereotypes and she's like well I'm acting You've poured a script into me, and I'm saying the things that I'm told to say. Yeah, and it's a it's a it's a crime of writing rather than a crime of any of the actors. Yeah, it's really weird to see, you know, to realize that. To, well, it's really weird to see something like that sixty or seventy years later, and realize that there was an entire studio system built that didn't see anything wrong with it, and just thought, oh no, this is the easiest way to do this. Let's just do this, right? Because it's always about getting the film made, getting it released, getting a profit margin. Like just, just make it a thing. Just do it. Just make sure that it's made, and then if you can shoehorn in a couple, of, and the problem, the real problem is that they're still doing it. Yeah. You know, whenever it turns out, I go out for acting parts with either Asian and black women or all black men. Really? Yeah, because I'm usually playing like a, a guard uh, or um, a DMV person. Okay. You know, I, it's these supported roles that they're like, well, we ha- there has to be some people of color or a woman who isn't crazy skinny. Mm. And so, like, I am a character actor. Sure. And they, they're yeah. like, well, we should probably get someone who doesn't look like, who looks a little normal or like regular people. Yeah. And... The fact that that's that that casting is the same. Do you remember in uh, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, where the the nanny of her daughter is black? Yeah, and she's not playing at anything. She doesn't have any weird accent. She's just a woman going, yeah. She's over at the neighbors. Yeah, and no, no inflections. And no, no inflections. No, no weird. No yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of weird you know stereotypical stuff but they were like oh we could probably cast a black actress in this role and I knew a casting guy one time or he used to be a casting guy and he said he quit the business and he said because uh, a Mexican actor came in to fulfill one of these side roles and he stood there with the sides and was getting ready to to do his to, to do the thing on tape and he turned to the casting director and said, did you want the accent? Yeah. And the casting director was like, yeah, I'm so sorry. I need the weird accent of the, the cholo, the stereotypical, you know, the stereotypical yeah. Mexican guy. And he said, a week later, he quit. He's like, it was the final straw of, I don't see, it. he's like, I'm trying to get some diversity. I'm trying to get just people who can, so we were talking about, the front page and his girl Friday. Mm-hmm. And so 
you can cast anybody to play any of these roles and it plays fine for the most part yeah. you know like if you look at ghostbusters they're that's the new, a job the new one or the yeah the new yeah, ones which they're just they, i assume it's going to be something comparable um script wise yeah i assume and it's just going to be a bunch of <laughs> just sort of misfits society's misfits off you know fighting ghosts yeah. and people forget the original Ghostbusters is not about you know the Clooney's of the world <laughs> battling the paranormal it's about a <laughs> bunch of nerdy academic scientists who yeah. who yell at each other and then yell at one, ghosts yeah one nerdy academic scientist Harold Ramis yeah. and the other two were kind of like I'll do whatever you want and the guy who needed a job yeah. and uh that's true. I, I, I got to credit Ackroyd for the insane mythology. Like, he's the one who delivers well, that's all right. That he was stuff. the conspiracy guy. He's so committed to it. Bill Bill Murray was the, Murray the, the think the system guy, right? Yeah. He was the slacker, but he had... He he was doing some sort of studies as a as a professor where yeah, he would yeah. meet girls. Yes, exactly. That was his thing. And, and, oh, if you watch Ghostbusters now, Bill Murray comes off as such a creepy pickup artist. Yeah. He is actively hitting on... on uh, uh, everyone. But but Weaver, when he, oh, he seems to be Weaver, it's just, it's lucky that she's taller than he is because you believe that she could deck him. Yeah. And that she sort of, like, her but, role is, well, you're going to get hit on and then soften. Yeah. That's her role, and she still manages to invest it with life, but... Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, you know, Chad Daniels does an amazing joke. He's a great comic out of Minneapolis. I think he's playing Canada right now. Ooh. and uh, But he... He does this great joke about how he went out to lunch with his grandmother, and his grandmother said to the waiter, I think, that he was going to try to Jew her down. And not to the waiter. To, he said it to Chad because Chad yelled at her. Hmm. And nobody heard her say the horrible thing. Right, but everyone heard him it. yelling at the old lady, and so he got a lot of hairy eyeballs. And he said, my grandmother's a racist. And people are constantly trying to explain to me, well, that's how she was raised. And i tr- constantly trying to explain to them, yeah, but she's raised. She's an adult yeah. now. Wrap it up. Yeah, and it's uh, <laughs> great, actually. You're, yeah, of course, you're responsible for your own decisions yeah. past a certain point. Right. Uh, I don't care if you come from a different time. You're not in that time. Yeah. Is his entire point of that joke? And I wonder if you could go into a restaurant and steal the tip jar and just say that's how I was raised and see how that plays <laughs> and just apply it to anything else. Anything. Anything else. Just mm-hmm. yeah, it's completely cuckoo bird. And so. Whenever I see those old sexist guys, it's like the Holiday Inn. Mm-hmm. It's the the old racism, the old sexism. I I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it because it's a it's more of a testimonial reminder of how things used to be and how they don't have to be now. Okay. And I they cut it on AMC sometimes. American Movie Classics. I was really surprised to find that that the 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 Abraham number just goes away. Yeah, the entire holiday goes away. Yeah, <laughs> President's Day gone. Abraham Lincoln. But um, well, I mean, Valentine's Day is like right around the corner. I guess yeah, you can rush sure. right in, and it doesn't add anything plot-wise. But it's just shocking to think that you can dispense with an entire chunk of movie, uh, and yet keep the movie, all the other stuff, which is still, you know, it's not exactly progressive in the in the whole two no. guys chasing the girl thing. And, well, and it's. And it's not a complicated movie, so you could probably chop it up to. You could leave two holidays in and call sure. it a day, and. But I don't. I don't. I mean, I understand when they cut things for time, but when they cut things for censorship, I was like, please do not revisionist history. Hmm. My history, yeah. you know, it's like when you see E.T. and he's airbrushed out the guns. Right. 
There's a great science fiction writer named Cage Baker. Cage with a K. Don't know. Baker is Baker. And um, she talks about a futurist. It's time travel and immortality. And um, the history is perfect, quite honestly. The amount of research she did was fantastic. And the, and the books themselves are very funny and smart. But in the future, she's, she died probably five years ago. And the predictions of the future are coming true all around me and it's creepy as all hell <laughs> because I mean she was speaking she wrote the first one probably in the 90s and she was talking about adult sippy cups you know okay, in the yeah. 2050s everybody has their own sippy cup and uh, <laughs> people do people yeah, do. do and then she was talking about how everything became illegal meat became illegal uh, sugar became illegal caffeine became illegal chocolate became illegal and the movie started getting edited for violence, smoking right. was the first thing they started taking out. They started taking out all the cigarettes from yeah, all the movies, which just makes people look weird. Like yeah. the digital erasing of cigarettes, people are just standing around flipping each other off, as far as you can tell. Right, right, and it, but it 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 focused my attention mm-hmm. to things like that where I don't I don't want you. I, I don't have to see that. I mean, Midnight Run is a great movie. Sure. But it is full of cursing and full of smoking and full of bad life choices. Sure, yeah. <laughs> full of stealing. There's all kinds of <laughs> terrible things going on. But um, but I, I need those things to stay because mm-hmm. they're, they're like... It'd be like trying to rewrite Aeschylus, you know? And I'm not comparing Midnight Run to Aeschylus. <laughs> yes, I am. Someone will, yes. And, uh, <laughs> but I think that there is... There's value in keeping the blackface. Don't oh, show yeah. the movie. Don't show the movie at all if you're going to cut out the the President's Day thing, because it belittles what I think the entire black community was going through. It cuts out the only decent scene where she gets to sing, mm-hmm. and I just I it's it's troubling, obviously to me. Yeah. Well, no, I agree. I I think I'm absolutely in favor of. Preservation and contextualization, rather than elimination. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if you need to, if you need to open it with Alec Baldwin saying, "Hello, viewers," you know, in 1942, <laughs> America was hella racist, and this was okay. <laughs> People were all right with this. Enjoy yeah. the movie. You know, like at least provide the context. Yeah, you could do a disclaimer if you need to. You maybe should. And if you have to cut the movie because you're showing it, yeah. If you ever try to watch Midnight Run on regular cable, no, God. No. Oh my God! Every time they say the F word, they've turned it into fudge or factory <laughs> or. I'm calling somebody a fracking frack frack, yeah. and you're like, no, please was, don't. Oh, it was, um, it's Edgar Wright. It's always Edgar Wright whenever I come up with an anecdote. Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg have a, a little thing on the on the Shaun of the Dead DVD where they discuss what the looping was and okay. how much fun they had with it and how ridiculous they got. <laughs> and that, like, if you're going to do it, play with it. Yeah. But, yeah, no, don't change it just because, like, it's Midnight Run, people are... Doing People terrible know. things to each other on television. They do that <laughs> right. anyway. Right. Show it on HBO. Yeah. And, or later at night, when now you can show almost anything. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's weird that Holiday Inn would be would be more contentious yeah. than an R-rated chase picture, in which yeah. basically, you know, you're having nothing but fun the whole time. Right. And it's just, just murdery and, <laughs> uh, and cursy. And yeah. so... Yeah. I mean, I, I try to see this stuff. When it comes up, I... I 
see that the, like the film is now an archive. The film is an artifact. It's a documentary of how cinema used to work. Yeah. And what passed for entertainment and what people were okay with. Yeah. And I would really like to believe that in 1942 people were squirming through the blackface. I'm pretty sure they weren't. Uh, right. It was just the thing. I mean, there might have been just some sighing. Yeah. I mean, it's just... I, mean, I remember watching Ghostbusters when it came out in the 80s. 80s, right? Yeah, 84. And um, in 84, I was like 19. And watching it and laughing, but also like, the hell is he talking to her like that? And But it was... It didn't... I didn't worry about it. You know, I was just like, yeah, yeah, guys are out of their minds. And um, and now when you see that sort of activity, you know, when, when, when men talk to women like that, and you more men understand now, because most men are polite. Most men are not catcalling and yallering and yeah. saying weird, inappropriate things. You and when you hit on somebody, you're usually not hitting on them in that overt... There's one guy. You know, like, I went overseas to perform for the troops. Mm-hmm. And there was always... every 98% of the people that I would meet were weirdly... Because I don't know anything about the armed forces. But um, they they seemed genuinely to have joined the Army or the Navy or the Air Force or whatever to to be of service. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I, I wonder if I can be of some help. And there would be... And then there'd be a couple... Two people out of ten or whatever. Two people out of a hundred who... We're like, well, you're not safe unless you're with me. You want to feel my muscle? Yeah. And the other 98 people are like, no, Jim's all right. You don't want to be alone with him. But yeah, he's all, he's just a jackass. Right. And so they know. And they, there's there's just, so it isn't, it isn't everybody, but we're more aware of it now. You know, you're not, because of the filming and the, and we get to watch the nightmare. Yeah of bad behavior more often now, then we're more... So when it's fictionalized, you're like, oh, that's actually terrible behavior. We shouldn't fictionalize that. And you're like, unless they're the bad guy. And Bill Murray's the good guy in the Ghostbusters movie. So... Yeah, it stands out. It reads wrong. Right. And he's not a bad guy. He's just a guy with terrible social skills who doesn't know how to hit on women. And some woman took... You know, there are real men like that, and there are real women who have felt pity on that guy and gone like, "It's hard to go out in public with you, but I do love you." <laughs> and I mean, you remember? I remember being, being as a kid, my mom would be like, oh, "You know, I really like Amy or whoever, but her husband is a piece of work." Yeah. And I was like, "That's what people say about dad." No, I didn't say that, but um, <laughs> but I'm sure people said that about my dad because my dad can be hard. And my stepmom was such a nice woman that they were like, "Why do you hang out with that guy with the mouth?" <laughs> and uh, yeah. and she was like, "Cause he's cute. I've always liked him." And you can't explain attraction, right? It's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's the uh, he says picking up the Holiday Inn box set. It is the driver of comedy. In, in the Holiday Inn, certainly. Like, For sure. In as much as the thing functions as a, the slowest, calmest romantic farce I've ever seen. But it is that, it's following that mechanism where they are both constantly hitting on her, but in the most weirdly graceful and polite and dignified way. Like, it is benign. Of it all is of, a, yeah, of yeah. all of the film's sins retroactively, yeah. the chivalry is really interesting to see. Right. It and, is people are helping each other and constantly she's lifted out of the water and by yeah. an idiot but still he means right well. right there's no yeah there's no there's no malice towards the women in this thing right it is it is 
the comedy is at the expense of each other. Yeah. They are, it is a celebration of essentially just different kind of life choices. You know, Bing Crosby wants to be lazy, and he, but he wants to sing and write, and, and he thinks it's going to be fine. Yeah. And Fred Astaire just wants to work and have a pretty girlfriend. That's his whole thing. Yeah, preferably Crosby's. But preferably you know, Crosby's. Because he seems to have a really reason. limited pool. That's, yeah. that's the thing that fascinates me, and that's why I keep thinking of the Bugs and Daffy dynamic. Yeah. Because uh, Daffy really only ever wants whatever Bugs has. Right. And <laughs> that is the greatest analogy, because it's true. Yeah. But it's so calm. That's the difference. Yeah. And like in a cartoon, you have seven minutes. You have. You it's got to be manic. Time. It's got to be really. And Daffy only functions at a high volume. You can't. Like, there's no calm Daffy Duck cartoon. Um <laughs> Which would be amazing. It would be Bill Murray. It would be just, you know, like Daffy yeah. Duck sitting at home with a book, not doing anything, <laughs> getting a phone call, no, thank you, and moving on. Uh, I really want to find out what happens to the submarine. You know? <laughs> but but this is so easy and, and relaxed between the two of them that, you know, in any reasonable world, they would hate each other by now. But they're right. still having so much fun. Yeah, they, they would have stopped talking a generation earlier. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, they are still friends and... Still, it and they're in the movie together. I mean, that's the whole driving force of the movie is yeah. that they have to still be friends for some, as yet undefined reasons. Yes. Perverse storytelling purposes. Perverse for for those. Yeah. But I do. Well, it's, it's as you say. I mean, we get to experience them taking pleasure in each other's company. Yeah. And that's why it makes it okay. It's more of a bromance than anything else because they like each other more than they like any of the women they're ever with. You know, because they keep coming back to each other. Mm-hmm. And. At the end, when they each get a lady of their very own, uh, then they can, you you suspect that then they can put it to bed, you yeah. know? Then they can just hang out, and their wives can be friends, and it doesn't have to be this thing, you know? Um, but will they miss it? They might. I think Fred Astaire will. Yeah. Ben Crosby won't. He's like, just stay with crazy. Yeah. You get crazy. I get uh, the girl next door. And uh <laughs> there's some really weird key parties in their future. Oh my god. 20 years worst. from now it's the ice storm. They're all just <laughs> sitting around just staring. Well, I guess it's that kind of time. <laughs> and Marjorie's like, "I'm not playing your weird bowl of keys party. <laughs> Find somebody else. Get the manager guy." Yeah, we'll turn and... it into a song. We'll make a bit out of it. Come on. That's a there there is a whole other uh, I'm sure uh, I'm sure Karina Longworth will do a thing on uh, the bizarre pandering of, of Irving Berlin. And even now, like, looking at White Christmas... I did it again. Even now looking at Holiday Inn, which ends with this insane patriotic dance number, because they're gone to war. Yeah. Like, this is the beginning of World War Two for America. Right. And that's... That's the 4th of July. Yeah, so that's it? how it has to end, with this huge Independence Day send-off, and then they have the reprise of White Christmas. But the big final, like, as far as the musical structure is concerned, the climax is that Independence Day number. Uh, with Fred Astaire throwing frantically throwing fireworks at his own feet, right? Which but is the, the very end of it is the White Christmas. Yeah, it's the reprise of, of White Christmas, right? And the, and and the holiday thing and the and the love story, right? So, but the last real number is yeah. what I think like what the you're talking about. High point of the, of the that's yeah. true because yeah. freedom. Yeah, and there's film and there's superimposition. Yeah, and there's that. Montage. And he's wearing a top hat with yeah. a with a with a. And Uncle Sam hat and he's, he's lo- they've lost their minds but yeah. they're like we gotta protect this we gotta do and, it, it's, and buy war bonds marching out to yeah exactly yeah. it's very much that it's that nuts. is the last big number yeah. before they all go off to Hollywood right yeah then because, it's basically epilogue yep 
Okay, but, I get it. Whoa. Yeah, I just again, it's one of those things where, and maybe it's just having watched Trump and and Christie like just yesterday. yesterday <laughs> I'm just I kind of it's one of those things where it's like oh, yeah, this is only over the top if you're not like 60 years ago this must have seemed exactly what the or 70 years ago during the war this must have seemed exactly what people needed to see yeah. the calculation of it the pandering of it sure now it feels like they're going to do that at the republican convention they're going to do this exact number because why not they should do that number because it'll get it'll get a lot you see that picture of uh, some crazy blonde lady with the with the perfect makeup and smile on her face holding her baby up oh, to yeah, the, that that rictus on her face yeah she's it, very smile. much yeah. very much and it uh I thought it looked exactly like that crowd that Indiana Jones was uh, parsing through to get uh, the Grail Diary, and Hitler ends up signing it. Right. And, um, yeah. <laughs> There's trouble. Yeah. <laughs> the world will continue to spin, but uh, things may change. We yeah. don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a... If they do stage the the the, the Independence Day number, yeah, with with Trump, he'll actually be firing bullets at the guy dancing as opposed to fireworks. Like that's the sure. only thing that will change. Otherwise, the tone's exactly the same. Right. Well, you know, Trump has both the KKK vote and the mob vote now, so um, that takes work. Right. I that's his, uh, his there's gumption. a there's some overlap, even though of course the Klan can't possibly like the Catholic Italians. Yeah. But um, they found the common cause. They got a, they the enemy a of your enemy. Is uh, your friend? So, I don't know. It's a it's a it's a crazy time to be. You know what the Chinese say? Uh, that's a curse. The Chinese curse yeah. is to live in interesting times. Yeah. And I like the nostalgia of the old movies, but I don't like World War Two. You know, I don't wanna. I don't wanna see the sands of Iwo Jima. I don't wanna. Yeah. You know, the bridge over the River Kwai. I don't want to see Apocalypse Now. I'm good. Yeah. It's. Uh, I don't want to live through that. Yeah. I. And we end up being we end up being Germany in this facility in this formulation, which is the thing that really bugs me. It's like that's where like, Trump is full on fascism now. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So yeah. Even the Germans know that we're the the fascists in this, and uh, when they start calling it, because <laughs> they're the only ones that have ever been completely honest about their own sort of mistakes, mm, not yeah. to put it lightly. Yeah. And there's no. The United States has been very lucky that none of the wars have happened on U.S. soil, except for the Civil War. Right. And if there's another war, it's going to be on U.S. soil, and there's going to be trouble. But who knows? My theory is that as soon as we hit 300 million people in the United States, nobody knew how to govern that many people. And nobody thought to ask the Chinese. Right. Uh, the Chinese and the Indians, even the Malaysians, the Indonesians... Other other countries do it. Yeah. I don't understand why we didn't talk to somebody. We could have talked to somebody. I think there's 300 million people in Japan, aren't there? I, I, mean, I like population, it's but I can't small remember. Island. It's really? uh, it's densely populated. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, Americans never listen to anybody, which is why. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So the last question is also always the same, which is if there is anything in in Holiday Inn in your in the film that has sort of found its way into your work. Do you ever find yourself calling back to it or using it or stealing from it? Oh, interesting. Um, Have you ever, you know, been in a scene somewhere and just thought, what would Bing do? Never. I have, for the love of God, I have never thought to myself, who would Bing punch? Yeah. Uh, I have not. It's a good mantra. (laughs) 
It's uh, it's usually someone smaller than him, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly problem, from yeah. the from the gossip. That's where it gets problematic. But uh, the when you know sometimes I think about when I think about Holiday Inn, I usually relate quite honestly mostly to the Mamie character, mm-hmm. and I mostly relate to the fact that she had advice to give. It was unsolicited, but she gave it anyway. So if I were to relate to anything in that movie. I'm not a very good singer, more of a team singer. I certainly don't know how to dance, uh, so it would have to be. But I make a hell of a turkey, okay. and um, <laughs> and um, and unsolicited advice used to be a problem. So um, yeah, I would have to say that I relate mostly to Mamie in this in this particular iteration of film. Okay, I did not see that coming. No, no. <laughs> it's a it's a really interesting angle though because yeah, I mean if you're coming at it from the point of view of a character player yeah that's the character role it's the role with character it's either her or the the other florist sometimes when I look at movies I'm just like oh I could have played that That, they would have cast me as that that would have been a thing like yeah it would have been that or the florist or um probably no would not have been the security guard not in 41 but um (laughs) yeah so it's and plus her character quite honestly was the only constant. Hmm. You know, the Marjorie character was a good person. Bing Crosby was okay. You know, he was also contriving and lying a little bit and 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 not not really knowing what he wanted to do with his life and stuff like that. Fred Astaire's a mess. Yeah. And the manager is a damn tool bag is what he is. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, um, as is... The the other blonde, who was named... Virginia Dale? Yeah, Virginia Dale. Virginia Dale, who is, I think, sincere in her desire to marry a fabulously wealthy person. Yeah. And so the only real constant character is Mamie. And Mamie, she's, she's just coming to work every day. And she likes some of these people, because if you hang out with somebody long enough, even if they're... You know, they're a different social strata than you are in 1941. Sure. You can, you can become affectionate. You can, you can have yeah. a vested interest in their happiness eventually if you're a human. And I think Mamie is almost the most human of the entire cast. Yeah. Because she's like, I'm trying to raise these kids. Yeah, that's... That can't act. She has a life. Yeah. She goes home and starts the acting lessons and sighs. <laughs> she's like, why are you looking directly into the camera, kid? Please don't look directly into the camera. <laughs> My thanks to Jackie Cation, who you can see in the new Netflix series Lady Dynamite, premiering this Friday, May 20th, and you can hear her on The Dork Forest and The Jackie and Lurie Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're in Toronto, she'll be coming back in September for JFL 42. You can find Jackie online at JackieCation.com or on Twitter at JackieCation, all one word. And you can find Holiday Inn on DVD and Blu-ray from Universal Studios Home Entertainment and for rental and purchase on iTunes and Google Play. There is a color version out there. Please don't bother with it. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at SEMCAST, S-E-M-CAST, or on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. This week's call sign is Unenlightened Era. Thanks for listening.